Welcome to the Curvebeam AI Cast, bringing you the future of orthopedics and bone health. I'm Lou Schoen, orthopedic surgeon and director of orthopedic innovation at Mercy Medical Center in Baltimore, Maryland, professor of orthopedic surgery at NYU Langone in New York, and professor of orthopedic surgery at Johns Hopkins University in Baltimore, Maryland. I'm here today as a host of Curvebeam AI Connect to talk to the innovators in this space. And today, I'm really fortunate to have with me Studi Singh, who is the Director of Imaging and Diagnostic for Curvebeam AI. And Studi is an amazing person who has a great knowledge in this technology and I think expresses it very well, uh, clearly. And we are looking forward to discussing today What's going on with Curvebeam AI? What is imaging and diagnostics? And how is it going to help me as a clinician, educator, and researcher? Thanks for coming. And uh, let's uh, start with some uh, easy questions. What is imaging and diagnostics? What is that all about? So Curvebeam is still a relatively... I like to think a relatively young company, although it is uh, we're a little more than a decade old now. But for a long time, we actually had our different engineering departments, software engineering, hardware engineering, but we didn't actually have a specific imaging department. It was just all the different engineering departments were all working together to make the best imaging. But uh, as we continue to grow and become more advanced in this space, we really needed to have a team focused on image quality, uh, the diagnostic value of the images. So it's exactly what it sounds like. We're making sure that we're providing uh, the best quality images that give you the value and information that you're looking for on the clinical side. So it's a combination of hardware engineering, software engineering, clinical applications. It's kind of the intersection of all the different groups at Curvebeam. Right. So imaging and diagnostics to a regular orthopedic surgeon, um, you know, we might think of imaging like uh, different types of scans and uh, different types of uh, information we may get from those scans. So what you're providing us with now is a better interface between your technology, the Curvebeam acquired DICOM files, and and the doctor. It's a better interface now. Uh, and it's a dynamic interface, right? It's not like it's over, right? You're still creating and innovating, correct? Yes, definitely. What we realized is we started out by creating these really beautiful, high resolution, 3D weight bearing images of patient anatomy. And, you know, those images can look really beautiful, but we realized that's really not enough because when as a doctor you have you only have so much time you only have so much experience with using 3d software so even if we create this beautiful image unless it's useful to you and fits into your workflow it's not going to be usable in your practice so we uh, are now looking on the um, advanced imaging and AI side, uh, taking that volume we create and automatically processing it. So for example, instead of having to open the image in a DICOM viewer and scroll through 600 slices to, you know, measure an angle between two bones, we will 
automatically uh, locate those bones in the scan and measure that angle for you. Uh, we know that a lot of our customers, before using our device, were using a 2D X-ray uh, device in which they get three views uh, of each patient. So that's three images to look at. And then when they take a CT scan, they have um, essentially infinite images to look at. They have hundreds of slices in each direction. And then if you consider re-slicing and rotating, you know, there's infinite uh, things you can look at. So you obviously haven't, uh, just because you bought our machine doesn't mean you have more time to look at this information. So we wanted to take all this uh, really valuable information we are now acquiring for you and actually giving you the most useful uh, facets of it so that you can actually make use of what uh, we are providing. So for example, um, I've got a patient with hardware in their foot. And usually, as we know, as orthopedic surgeons, that will create some distortion of the images. Uh, is it your job as director of imaging and diagnostics to give me a cleaner image? Is that one of the things you're doing? Yes, for sure. So Metal hardware is a big challenge, one of the biggest challenges we work in um, in the imaging department. So we deal with that on the reconstruction side. We uh, use really advanced algorithms to take the 2D projections that are acquired from all angles around the patient and turn it into a 3D volume. And so we work with uh, really novel new algorithms to better estimate what the anatomy looks like in and around that metal. Uh, with metal, you have beam hardening. So a lot of your X-ray photons are just absorbed by the metal and you also have a lot of scattering. So photons are flying all over the place and not in the direction that they need to be in order to accurately be represented on the X-ray detector. So there's uh, really fancy, sophisticated work that goes on there. You know, they'll advance their algorithm. We'll test it on clinical data and kind of uh, go in that feedback loop, trying to uh, get the best results we can there. So for those uh, people that are not familiar with these issues that we encounter as orthopedic surgeons, I want to make this a bit more granular and then we'll go on to another topic. But when we have a hardware in the foot, um, and we get this distortion, either hardening or uh, actual, you know, gradients of distortion around the the uh, the device that's in there. Um, I'm not only getting a blurry image around there. I'm also not getting information about the quality of bone there. So if I if I'm expecting a cyst or an, a void in the bone, I may not see it because of the distortion. And your job is to give me an image that will get rid of that distortion and allow me to see the hole in the bone and, uh, and then create my diagnostic and therapeutic uh, plans accordingly. So uh, that's something you're actively working on. Do you have people um, come to you and say, here's my challenge. I want to see these features better. Can you help me to uh, to get those images? Yes, we definitely do. Um, we will have customers send us examples of images they're struggling with, um, of anatomy they're trying to see, but it's too blurry. And we actually use those images that we get in our development. So 
we will test newer versions of the algorithm with that, uh, with that clinical data, uh, with their permission, of course. We actually even have uh, some customers who have, in, in the validation of this product to replace uh, their multi-slice CT, they have scanned a patient with metal hardware in multi-slice CT and in cone beam CT and have shared the difference with us so we can see kind of what what the I- more ideal image would look like on multi-slice CT. And having that kind of ground truth uh, is really useful as well. So uh, we work really closely with our customers and it's really valuable, I think, going both ways because we are hopefully uh giving them a better and better product, but uh, it's really their feedback and their data that helps us get there. Great. So it's very exciting for a young researcher or a, uh, a, a new newly minted orthopedic surgeon that embraces this technology. It's, uh, there's still a lot of opportunity to work with Curvebeam AI and improve what we have to help not only their patient, but to help patients worldwide. Absolutely. So at the end of the day, our goal is to help the patient to get the best possible image, to get them the best di- possible diagnosis and treatment. So we almost uh, consider anyone who is interested and wants to work with us, we consider them part of the team. We're all, uh, you know, we're the manufacturer, you're the clinician, but we're all one team at the end trying to help the patient. So, you know, we we really uh, value some of the relationships we have with some of our some of our clinicians. It really feels like we're one team working towards the same goal. Great. Very exciting. And, and thank you for your hard work on some of these very challenging problems uh, to make something complex look clean and simple. Uh, takes a lot of work behind the scene and, and we are, we really do appreciate it. So let me move on from hardware uh, artifact to uh, some uh, other topics. You mentioned uh, taking these volumes of data and then uh, making it into uh, more meaningful uh, kind of linear measurements. Uh, This is on x-ray, something that we have been trained to do as orthopedic surgeons. We could look at a a multi images of a foot and and draw lines through the center of the bone on a two-dimensional image. It's like, okay, here's one point. Here's another point. Bisect that line. Take a dot. Another point. Another point. Bisect that line. Take a dot. Now draw a line. And now you have the line of that bone. When you're doing it on a CAT scan, it is really, truly the right line because you have to look at the entire volume and find the center essentially of, of the circle and um, how you do that uh, initially, you know, was just so time consuming. Tell us about how you do this segmentation and how long it takes and, and, and what does uh, Curve Beam AI provide for us as the end product of this line drawing? Yeah. So the first step, as you mentioned, is the segmentation. We need to know where all the bones are in the volume. And then from there, uh, there's a lot we can do with it. So for the segmentation, we've actually been working on this from about the time that we released our first product, which was the PedCat. 
uh, foot and ankle scanner in 2012. So ever since that was released, we've had some of the world's leading foot and ankle surgeons say, when I take this scan, I need all these angles as well. Um, I don't want to have to go through the volume and measure them myself. So we uh, worked on some methods that were not involving AI. So there's different methods you can use for segmentation, uh, things like clustering, thresholding, uh, things like that. And we got some algorithms working where they would work on some patients, but there's such a variety of patients in the shape of their foot, the density of their bones. Um, there's also a variety of image quality depending on how your machine is calibrated. There's so many factors that it was really hard to get an algorithm that worked well on all patients. And that's where a few years ago, we pivoted to the AI deep learning space. Uh, I know AI and deep learning are a buzzword and a lot of people are adopting it in many uh, for many applications. And this was really a natural and necessary path to go down. We weren't just, you know, thinking, oh, AI, let's incorporate that just because it sounds cool. Like this was something that was actually uh, really promising to solve this issue where we couldn't necessarily uh, create one formula that would be able to understand and segment all different patients' feet. So what we did was we collected hundreds of data sets and manually segmented them. And that takes a really long time. It takes it can take about eight hours to segment all the bones in one foot manually. So that's one foot. A bilateral scan would be 16 hours. Uh, so the annotation process itself is a huge project. There's a, It's really important to quality control that correctly. You have to train. Um, in order to do such a large volume, you have to train lots of people to do that. So that, that was uh, a big effort in itself. But once we had this data, we were able to train a... Um, a neural network, which is uh, one type of uh, AI algorithm, to look at these images, look at the segmentation, and then from there be able to look at a new image and segment that scan based on what it learned from all these examples. So that's the big uh, first step, just being able to take a scan and identify where all the bones are. And we're not perfect yet. We've uh, come a long way. We're segmenting pretty well. But if you have a really difficult case where maybe they have a lot of cysts or a lot of OA, uh, you still might need some manual correction in there. But uh, we're constantly working on collecting more data and improving that. But uh, once you have the segmentation, you basically have the X, Y, and Z coordinate of every point in every bone. And in these CT scans where you have submillimeter voxels, you can have hundreds of thousands of points in each bone. There's a lot of data in there. Um, the, the entire volume itself has hundreds of millions of voxels. So it's, it's, a, it's a huge data set. And so we take those X, Y, Z coordinates of each bone and use that to calculate uh, for example, the axis. And it's easier on long bones like the metatarsals because there you can kind of take, uh, do a principal component analysis where you kind of find a best fit line for that bone and use that as the axis. And it's very accurate. It's very repeatable. It's not dependent on you looking at, uh, you having to select points manually. Um, but uh, it does get a little, little bit more tricky in uh, bones like a cuneiform or even the talus where it's not, you can't just, best fit align necessarily. It's also dependent on other landmarks and features. So um, that's ongoing where we're looking for the best ways to identify uh, landmarks and represent uh, different bones of different shapes. And uh, it's something we're collaborating with uh, different researchers on and uh, 
this whole space, uh, there's so much to continue to develop and explore. Uh, weight-bearing CT has only been around for a few years, and there's so many questions on how to best use it still. Fascinating. And this is kind of the, uh, the way we are going to convert our two-dimensional kind of uh, two-dimensional assessment of what we're uh, doing to the, a true three-dimensional assessment. Um, it's easy for me to look at a three-dimensional model. I think everybody would agree that we're, we, we, we see things in life three-dimensionally. We spin it around, we touch it. But to then measure off of it really is another uh, challenge. And I, I think what you're doing is uh, making it uh, from an eight-hour procedure to maybe, what, a 10-minute procedure, five-minute procedure? Right. The current deep learning model, uh, if you include kind of uploading the data and pre and post processing, all of that will take about 10 minutes. It's amazing. And probably will get faster. uh, And certainly with certain um, variables adjusted, it could be uh, maybe at some point instantaneous. Definitely. Even with our current model, uh, there's more we could do to parallelize. uh, That's a word, uh, the processing. So uh, if we uh, we actually run this on the cloud, so we use kind of GPU graphic processing units on the cloud. So we could we could possibly even just add more processing units and speed up what we have now. So there's the computing side of it, the cloud computing side that can be optimized. There's so many different uh, parts of this that can be improved and op- optimized. Yeah, and 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 maybe to some, let me go out of the research education mode. Let me go down to the clinician. So I have a foot deformity. I want to understand it. I know how to do my lines on the x-rays, two-dimensional. Um, but I have a question about how, how bad my deformity is. I could see it, uh, but I kind of want to tell it to the patient, like, you have a 30-degree deformity. I could look at it and show it to them. and They love to see the three-dimensional images, of course. But if I want to quantify that uh, and then do my uh, designing of my intervention, uh, having those angles, having those lines can be can be very valuable. And I think um, certainly for research, it's valuable uh, to measure what we're doing. But uh, for people who are not engaged in research or education, uh, we do need a safe uh, plans. We need accurate plans. And, and this information gives us those uh, dimensions that then allows us to do things accurately and safely. So we thank you for your hard work, not just to make it good for researchers and educators, but to actually deliver something that's going to be meaningful for a better patient outcome. Uh, now let's go to uh, some other features that you are are working on. Uh, for example, uh, let's look at those voxels. Let's look at the let's look at the what what we got. What we used to Houndsfield units. Um, there there's a, a density to the bone that we see on, on X-ray uh, based on its whiter or or if it's if it's um, more. Uh, translucent. That's you know we, we're we're not seeing bone there. We say, oh, that's bad bone. Uh, can you take my little oh, that's bad bone. That's good bone uh, assessment and, and give me something more like 
scientific? Yes. So as you know, uh, last year we merged with another company and we're now Curvebeam AI. And one of the kind of skill sets we brought in with this merger was in the bone health space. Our The company we merged with has done a lot of research in quantifying bone health and assessing fracture risk based on ACT scan. So we are working on giving you more quantitative information about the condition of your bone. And there's kind of the current work where we're taking the existing type of CT scan and giving you quantitative information off of that. And then looking to the future, and uh, this might be uh, years out, but we uh, have our we have our eyes set on the sky. You know, there's uh, now a new technology called photon counting, where the X-ray detector reads the individual energy of each photon rather than just kind of the sum of all the energy it's receiving. And what that allows you to do is get materials information from your image. So you can uh, get information about the atomic number of the actual materials that you're scanning. So bone versus soft tissue versus fat versus cartilage. So in the long term, there's uh, some really exciting possibilities of uh, how much more information we can give you on top of what we have now. Okay. So you touched on something else. So you could, uh, which I'll jump into, but to summarize that you're going to be able to tell me that my bone is weak, that there's a cyst, that there's osteoporosis or osteopenia. Um, And as a result of that, I could go to my patient and say, gee, you need to have some intervention. Maybe we send you to a bone metabolism specialist or we put you on vitamin D because I checked your vitamin D level and that's deficient, that's easy, let's get that going. So I could really help my patient, not just as an orthopedic surgeon, but as a bone doctor, I could actually look at their bone and maybe change their entire musculoskeletal system based on some information from a uh, curved beam uh, weight-bearing CAT scan. So very exciting. But you touched on something else, and I'll get into that. Soft tissue. Oh, my God. What are we going to do about that? So everyone goes, I don't want a CAT scan. I want an MRI. I want to see the soft tissue. I want to see what's going on. Is there bone edema? Mm. Can you tell me, will you be able to see bone edema? One, two, can you tell me, are you going to be able to differentiate tendons from soft tissues, maybe arteries and nerves? Will you be able to give us that information? So again, this is talking a little bit more long-term, but I do think all of this is very possible. You can already see in dual energy CT, so in full body CT systems where they fire at two different um, KVPs, they are able to use uh, that information to visualize edema, to visualize gout, crystallizations, to get really nice soft tissue visualization. And then uh, a couple of years ago, Siemens released its first photon counting full body CT. And there have been some really beautiful images on there where you can see uh, all sorts of soft tissue. Uh, so it, it's already done being done in some uh in the full body CT space, uh, those machines are uh, much bigger and much more expensive than what we have. But yeah, there's already a lot of research uh, on CBCT uh, doing the same things. 
So I think at the end of the day, it's just physics. It's like any engineering problem where we know what we have to do, but then it comes down to, uh, you know, having every component working just right to get things accurate. When you're doing imaging, what's interesting is imaging is always kind of an estimation. Um, any kind of measurement is an estimation. So my background, I actually used to do um, measurements in the aerospace uh, domain. So anytime you're using a sensor and doing kind of coming, extrapolating a measurement from that, there's all, all sorts of sources of error and you have to account for them all. So it, it's, it's uh, physically possible, but then it's just getting all the parts working right, accounting for all the different sources of error and uh, lots of quality, lots of testing uh, to really make sure you're getting accurate information. And then also the clinical trial and working with clinicians to, uh, you know, really validate that what we have is correct. That it's, it's a long process, but as far as being possible, I would definitely say yes. Great. And, and, and now let's go from that kind of uh, maybe aspirational or a futuristic view of what we're doing. Um, something we're doing right now, it's very exciting for me as a orthopedic surgeon, as a corrector of deformity, uh, of looking for better ways to preserve joint motion. Let's talk about cartilage mapping and space mapping between bone surfaces and cartilage surfaces. So um, that sounds weird, but basically we look at an x-ray, patient's non-weight-bearing, you see a space between the bones, that space is cartilage. When we start to do weight-bearing x-rays, the space collapses under gravitational forces and uh, other deforming forces, and you start to see, oh, it's closed here. That's because it's bone on bone. And here it's open. Is that open space filled with something or is it open because it's tilted? We don't really know. We now go into three-dimensional readings and we could actually see this is bone, thin layer of cartilage. Here's the actual distance. Here's the, the map of that distance. When we go to the other side of the joint where it's gapped open, we could say, well, you've got bone here and you've got cartilage and then you have space. The space is where the bones have tilted and it's open. It's not filled with fibrous tissue. It's not filled with cartilage. It's actually open. And you could give us a mapping of that and tell me, okay, on the inner side here, 50% is gone. You've got bone on bone. In the middle part, you've got the zone in the front and the zone in the back where it's it's 50% gone, but in the middle, it's 10% gone. And then on the outer side, you could tell me it's actually quite intact and it's only gapped uh, with the deformity. And, and where that's valuable is that then I could say, well, if I realign that joint, I could save that joint versus doing a fusion. So, um, I know that was a lot of explanation, but tell me how I will be able to use curve beam AI technology to help me plan an osteotomy to save a joint by doing this cartilage mapping or, or surface mapping. Yeah, well, I think you kind of already described it really well. Uh, but where we would come in is 
uh, providing that map. So again, that's where having a really accurate segmentation is really important. And that's where when we did our annotation of the data, we had really high QA standards where the segmentation had to be accurate, like within a couple of pixels, because when especially when you're looking at those joint spaces, uh, they can be it can be a matter of some millimeters, you know, one or two pixels uh, of space. So when we segment the bone, you know, we don't want to just kind of have the general outline. We want to really be catching the exact edge of that bone so that when you're looking at a joint space, you're able to accurately quantify it even when there is a very small space. So uh, yeah, doing the segmentation is really where we're working to optimize that. Um, and then uh, we are working on a distance mapping algorithm where when you have a joint, you can look at, take any point in that joint and kind of look for what we call kind of like a nearest neighbor in the adjacent joint, you know, where's the closest point in that joint and presenting that in a, with a color map. So you can see, uh, we usually show like red where the joints are really close and then it gets to more uh, blue and then green as you have more space. So really being able to see the entire joint visually to really comprehend where it's impinging and where there's more space, um, uh, we're going to present that information visually, but also quantitatively. So, uh, but yeah, that's where I think the segmentation is really key there, because if you're a millimeter or two off, that could change your whole conclusion from that information. Yeah. So very exciting and really something that will change the way we treat patients. Uh, because if I know I could realign that joint and open up some of those spaces and close some of those other spaces with bony procedures, with tendon procedures, with ligament procedures, I could save that joint and not have to do a fusion where we lock those bones together. So that's a very exciting innovation that is is really something we know about, but it's on the horizon. We have to uh, wrestle with this and then put it into clinical practice. But we are we're already starting to do that. So thank you for putting extra energy into that sort of assessment. Uh, let me go to another topic of, of, of kind of the gross alignment. So we've been very, very granular, very particular in our discussion up to now. But some people just want to say, like, what's the gestalt? What's the totality of assessment? I got this foot, and let's say it's a progressive collapsing foot. Um, it's deformed. I get it. I could see these angles. Okay, great. Well, is there a summary of that assessment that may be valuable for assessment and then treatment and then assessing the treatment and the outcome? Um, and in specific, let's talk about the work Francois List has done and uh, how you could bring that information to us. First, tell us what it is that he's done and you've done with him, and then what we do with that. Once I give you my information, what do you give me back, and, 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 and how, does that, how does that help me? Sure, yeah, so uh, currently, most clinicians around the world are assessing alignment just on 2D X-ray, which, we all know has limitations, um, but then even when those who get a 3D weight-bearing CT scanner, it was common to still look at just you know one slice of the hind foot or a couple slices to look at the alignment. And so what uh, Dr. Francois Lintz uh, developed was 
a really nice way to select just a few points on the foot, the base of uh, the metatarsal heads, the Taylor dome, um, the calcaneus, and kind of create a tripod to represent the foot with the calcaneus and metatarsals and then the Taylor dome as the uh, top of the tripod. And looking at where the Taylor dome is in comparison to the the center of the uh, kind of triangle you create with that tripod and seeing if they align and if it's uh, kind of varus or valgus to that, that kind of indicates that the whole foot could be varus or valgus. And uh, so we have a tool in our visualization software called CubeView where you can manually go through and just select a few points and it will give you uh, numbers on what your foot and foot ankle offset is what he calls it, what that number is. We're also, we do have a method to do that automatically in our um, our autometric software, although we are working on uh, improving how we identify the Taylor dome. So this gives kind of a standard way to assess the alignment of the foot in 3D. And it's proved, I feel like there's proof that this is a useful measure. For example, uh, Dr. Lentz did this really nice study of looking at total ankle replacements and cysts, and he measured the, the foot ankle offset of patients after their total ankle replacement. And those, and then I looked at how, if or how they, if and to what extent they develop cysts after surgery. And it showed that when the foot and ankle offset was misaligned, that's when they tended to develop cysts. And in addition to that, the location of cysts depended on whether the foot was varus or valgus and the kind of size and extent of the cysts also correlated with the extent of the varus or valgus. So he uh, really showed that uh, cysts, which were after surgery, which is something that's really not well understood, he showed like a really strong correlation with uh, the foot and ankle offset measurement. So that's just a, a really interesting finding and can be used, you know, post-surgery to decide if something needs to be corrected uh, because uh, cysts can lead to failure of the implant. So, you know, that's just one example showing that there are tangible uh, benefits. Yeah, benefits uh, and, and, and actual that number actually correlates with other things that happen in the foot. So uh, it's really, really interesting. I think there's always uh, room to improve. I uh, I know now they're looking at incorporating the knee joint and the hip joint into that. Now that our latest device, the high rise scans those joints. There's also room to look at more points than just the few we have. Um, obviously, as I said, we've got millions of points in the foot, so we can probably use more. So there's, there's room to expand that, but even as the starting point, uh, it's really shown to be a valuable tool. Great. Well, very exciting. And uh, again, so much to learn and so much to use to ultimately, so much information to use to ultimately help patients in a practical way as a educator, researcher, great, but even better as a clinician, as a surgeon, give me this information so I can take care of people in a better fashion. Now, Let's get a little bit practical. I I, I have I have a weight bearing CAT scan. I've got um, I've got you in the background there floating in the ether. Um, if I have a problem, but like, what do I get, or what packages can I get that can uh, that come kind of automatically? Are are there levels of, of service? Because what you're doing is like, you're, I mean, you're helping me. You're working for me. Uh, what's automated? What's what's part of the 
the different levels of 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 uh, care that I could use uh, for your imaging and diagnostic um, software and and with your hardware combined. What what do I get? Tell me what I get. I got the scan. What do I get? What's the package? So your scanner always comes with our CubeView software, which is our desktop application. It's an image viewer. It has other tools like it has the uh, foot and ankle offset calculation where you just have to manually select a few points and it will do the calculation. It has tools to visualize the HU density throughout a section of the volume. So it has some built-in tools. But after our merger and becoming Curveview AI, we're really working on this platform that's on the cloud um, that you'll upload your data to and will automatically process it and give you the results. So at the moment, we are working on research collaborations uh, with sites that are interested in trying what we're doing out. And uh, we have quite a few partners we're working with there. We definitely uh, expect to have this available commercially uh, in the near future. And we really, you know, we don't look at this as some extra tool. We look at this all as part of the machine. Like if you're using the CT scanner, you should be using, you should be using these tools as well. Like it, it's a natural extension of the scanner. So we're looking for it to be a whole ecosystem that you buy the scanner, you have an account, uh, you can get automatic uh, analysis of any scan you want. And then from there, we're also, um, integrating with a lot of vendors. So if you use vendors for surgical planning, for um, patient-specific uh, implants, um, patient-specific instrumentation, things like those, we are working to make sure that, you know, if they want to use the segmentation file, we give them the right format that they can use in their software. So um, yeah, you know, we're doing a lot internally, but there's only so much we can do. And there's a lot of amazing vendors out there they're all using AI. They're all doing a lot of research. So we are also uh, want to make it really easy to connect with them. And, you know, definitely don't want to have you burning CDs or anything like that uh, to get your scans out. So when you take a scan, we want to make it easy to get it to the cloud and get it to any vendor you want to utilize all that they have to offer as well. Yeah, very exciting and important. So uh, for people out there who don't have uh, a Curvebeam AI system, you are really not just getting, you know, this hardware, you're getting software with kind of unlimited potential. And with you behind the scenes uh, and your engineering team, uh, we can get data, share it with other vendors, with uh, the, the total ankle guys, with the hardware guys, with the planning guys uh, and gals, of course. Uh, we could we could get all this information, and it it be, happens behind the scenes, but it does happen effortlessly for the provider, because that's what you get when you get a, a curve beam AI system. In addition, what we're talking about is these research collaborations, education collaborations, which will hopefully create a new frontier and new foundation to build further information, uh, things that we're not even thinking of now, that's going to be part of the, the process as well. So we've got, you know, a, a great hardware piece and kind of an unlimited software piece that I think is, is uh, very exciting for the future. And it really is an investment in patient care, investment in optimizing what we do for patients. So thank you for working hard. I know this stuff is is uh is, can be tedious but i 
you're excited by it. You do it. What, what, what gets you up every day? So again, Curveam started with the pet cat, which scans the foot and ankle. Now we do a lot of the body, but I like to be active. I like to, I like rock climbing. I like yoga. I like biking. I, I like to be active. So at the end of the day, I think like what my life would be like if I couldn't do those things. And that would, you know, it would, it would be challenging in some ways. So I think that's what motivates me that, you know, uh, a lot of these things end up taking way longer than we expected. Um, they end up being very tedious. There's lots of challenges, but I, I like to think of it as, you know, as a human being outside of work, what's, what do I value in life? And those are, you know, being active is one of the things I really value. So I like to try to try to think that I'm bringing that value back to other people, um, with this work we do. Yeah. So you're really doctoring, uh, to get people at a higher level of function or maintain their higher level of function. Cause what you're passionate about in, in life and physical function, you know, that you can help us, the doctors keep people at that high level. And that's, that's the passion that you have. That's what drives you to sit there with these little pixels and, and, uh, and go nuts for eight hours. But uh, we really appreciate it. Thank God you are able to do it and doing it with a passion makes it uh, better, makes it more constructive, makes it interactive, and uh, really is what, what Curve Beam AI is all about. Uh, people like you behind the scenes, passionate about your engineering, passionate about delivering better function to humans that you've never met uh, through working with doctors, researchers, educators. So. I can't thank you enough. Um, I know Curve Beam is very fond of you and your work and your team. Uh, really, uh, we have to appreciate you every day with everything we do. We may not, but I'm going to tell you from all of us, thank you. Uh, thank you in advance for what you're going to do. This next 10, 15 years in this domain will be something uncanny, something we can't even believe, something that we didn't think is possible is going to be possible thanks to you and your team and to Curve Beam AI. So thanks today to coming uh, to this podcast. And uh, again, thanks for all you do. Thank you so much. And yeah, I definitely appreciate the entire team I work with on the imaging side, on the engineering side, uh, all of it. Um, it's it's definitely a team effort. Um for one person, uh, there's none of this we could do with just one person alone. Thank you. Keep up the good work. Again, thank you, Curve Beam AI Connect, for helping us bring this detailed information to the public, to doctors, uh, to people worldwide, to the dreamers, to people who are uh, suffering, to people who are helping to help those patients from uh, their suffering to get to a better level. Uh, this was really helpful. Thank you, Curve Beam AI Connect. 